All right. Thanks for again, again for joining the show, uh, The Solar Journey. Today we have a new guest, uh, Stefan Krauter. Hello, Stefan. Hello. Hi. How are you? Yeah, thanks for, thanks for joining. Um, let me just start with uh, outlining your um, CV, which is actually quite impressive and it's going to take a little while, but uh, I, it, it was too hard to cut out things because uh, I think it's all, it all adds to the, to the personality uh, who you are. So you studied electrical engineering a long time ago, just mm -hmm. like me, I guess. Yeah. Then you've got a PhD on solar modules in 1993. And then you are actually a co-founder of Solon, which became the first publicly traded solar company in Germany in 1998. And the very same year, you became the professor at the Technical University of Berlin in, uh, in Germany, the capital of Germany. And again, the very same year, you went to Brazil to work as a uni professor, university professor in uh, Rio de Janeiro. And uh, that is already pretty impressive, but uh, yeah, um, enough to retire, I, I would say, but uh, <laughs> it seems that you just got started. Um, so, because uh, one year only one year later, you founded another company, Rio Solar Limited, um, which uh, installed solar modules in, uh, in Brazil. And uh, again, being a professor and running a company is way too boring. Uh, this, is, this is why you must have started um, to organize seven world climate and energy conferences called Rio. And um, the number of uh, the year, yes, Rio 02 was the first one. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the motivation, I think, was to keep alive the spirit of the 1992 United Nations Rio Conference on Environment of, yeah. Exactly. Um, Sorry? Exactly. Yeah, yes. yeah. So a big effort here from your side. And still not enough. You uh, founded a public university for sustainability and energy in Fortaleza in Brazil. And uh, so after many years in, in, uh, in Brazil, you went back to Germany. And in 2005, you became a professor for solar energy at the Technical University of Berlin, one of the most well-known uh, universities in Germany. And uh, yeah, it just keeps going. You founded another company in 2006. Um, uh, it's called PI Berlin. It's a company still active globally. It's a company specialized in quality audits for solar cell and solar module factories and solar parks worldwide. And uh, it's, it's one of the top companies in, in that sector, I would say, globally. And uh, right now you are a professor for sustainable energy systems in Germany. And uh, yeah, you're also very active on Twitter, uh, where you call yourself Solar Papst. So everybody who wants to follow you, want to know what you're all, all about, just go to on Twitter and uh, search for Solar Papst. Solar Papst, that's German and it means solar pope. Yeah, so um, that was the name I invented. This was it's just a former student of mine who was calling me like that, and then uh, uh, this was available on Twitter, and so I took this, but uh, I wouldn't dare uh, to, to give myself this name, so it was just uh, given by yeah. others to me. 
Yeah, it's a. Do you run into, into trouble with with that kind of name, or everybody got used? Uh, yeah, sometimes, sometimes. Uh, it yeah. was uh, uh, yes, uh, but uh, it's okay. It's easy to remember uh, rather than Stefan Crowther. So people don't know uh, Stefan with PH or with F and Crowther. Yeah. Always right wrong. So I think uh, uh, for people it's more easy to remember. So I kept the name. So I have also another uh, just another Twitter account with my real name, but uh, it's. Actually, it's less active, so it's just more people like to hear something from Solar Pops than from Stefan Crowther. So All right, then you better stick to Solar Pops, yeah. Solar Pope. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you did a lot of amazing things. Um, you gave his, well, you've got a big name, and um, you even proposed once uh, there was a after a few beers or wine, um, even a new metric for time. Um, so, together, <laughs> yes. <laughs> In Paris, the, yeah. The so. Uh, If I remember correctly, it was not related to the decay of cesium atoms, but rather it was related to the burning rate of tobacco. <laughs> How did that come into place? Why did you come up with that? Uh, yeah, yes. Um Because in the testing institute, uh, we got a lot of uh, tests which uh, take 1,000 hours, and it's really hard, really, to check out when will be uh, when will the test be ready after 1,000 hours. So it's one and yeah. a half month, and you have to check the date, and uh, each day only has 24 hours. And uh, also, I got uh, some problems with uh, the schedules of trains and planes because some of them started. So boarding was at at, at, uh, at a certain date at uh, 20, uh, no, the flight was at a certain date at uh, uh, at uh, 0.5, um, so five minutes after midnight and boarding was 23. So I came at the same day at, 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 uh, at half an hour before midnight and the, the plane was already gone and so on. And so I was, oh, this shit, why I always has to stay, uh, start the day at midnight? It was in the Middle Ages, it was okay because it was middle of the night. And uh, nowadays, there's still a lot of activities. So first idea was uh, to get the reference point to shift from midnight to maybe three o'clock in the morning. So this is really a date uh, time where everyone is uh, tired. And uh, so it fits better to the less activity. Nature. Yeah. And yeah. then the other idea was uh, uh, just this uh, one hour. One hour is a little bit uh, unusual. You cannot do a Yes, either it's it's too long to wait for one hour. It's really if you uh, if you miss one ICE train and the next one is coming in one hour, it's it's not enough to go to to go to eating to go shopping because it's a little bit. But it's always too long to wait and so on. And so uh, this is a really uh, a not really human adequate uh, uh, time uh, 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 delay for in one hour one one um, one time interval. Let's say. Yeah. Um, and uh, so. Uh, Got the idea, uh, just uh, many people say, okay, uh, let's smoke a cigarette, which takes about uh, seven minutes and so on. And so we say, okay, seven minutes is quite good. It's, it's, if you missed uh, an U-Bahn or a bus, seven minutes is okay. And um, and uh, then uh, if you divide this uh, simply 24 hours, it's 100 uh, and uh, 100 uh, time frames in, in, during one day. And this was a bit too rough uh, to make a schedule. So we got the idea to keep really scientific to have 1000 time frames during uh, one day and then right. uh, it would be 0.7 minutes or so uh, and uh, this is really enough for planning everything and uh, also it's more easy if you add up uh, some so if you say okay i'll meet you in in uh, uh, 500 so that's the middle uh, so from three o'clock uh, uh, and, uh, uh, 12 hours more and so on so it's uh, it's really um, if you get used to it first you have to get used to it so yeah. but, uh, And uh, then I did some research and I found out Napoleon was suggesting this also. 
Um, and uh, but it what got a bit stuck uh, because you got some problems with the church and so on, and they didn't like this because they were very <laughs> proud of their. But you can uh, fix that. You're the, you're the pope now, right? Since you're the pope, uh, you can fix that. Okay. Yes. Uh, so things come now <laughs> together. The idea and the pope, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you're right. so you remember that. So that's quite definitely, quite definitely, yeah. Five years ago or something like this. So it was together uh, with our friend Armin Freudheimer. So it was, yep. Uh, yeah. A nice um, idea. Maybe I can't remember some PV conference in Paris. Yeah. Uh, no, because it's also more easy to add up. So if you say, okay, uh, we we add up some time frames you don't have to think about. So if two thousand means two days, three thousand means three days. So it's much more easy to yeah. even a year is uh, three hundred sixty-five thousand uh, of this uh, day. So you can uh, determine much better. Uh, while the other date you have always to look up the calendar is this month with. Uh, uh, 28 day, 29 day, 30 day, 31 days. And so it's really, uh, yeah. I think the business people, uh, they stopped all this, this regular schedule. Uh, they, they started uh, to have uh, business weeks and so on in order to make it more transparent, uh, which uh, uh, when they do something and our system would be even more transparent uh, with, uh, uh, while we have not only the date, but also the, I guess the date would be also just we count down the, the months. And uh, if you really want to relate to the moon, uh, actually we have 13 moon phases, not 12 moon phases. Yeah. Uh, and uh, this was forbidden by the Pope because uh, Again. he thought uh, yeah. uh, uh, thir <laughs> 13 is, is not a Christian number or not a God. Somebody has to be 12. And therefore we have this, uh, the Julian calendar, uh, which is, has this, uh, this strange, number of uh, strange, days per month. Uh, yeah. uh, accounting and uh, it doesn't fit to the moon phase at all all right yeah so uh, that puts lots of opportunities with the as, as you being the pope on twitter maybe you can find some followers for for revolutionizing our our time system uh, no no just but let's, you have to let's, be, keep, keep very calm and then just have all right. a very small uh, progress uh, otherwise people get yeah you uh, focus more on solar yeah and uh, you your cv says you're totally dedicated to solar why, why is that and how did you get started and why do you keep working in that in that sector? Uh, it started already quite early when I was 16 and so on. There was a big um, anti-nuclear movement and so on. And uh, I had some friends there. And um, But people were just uh, thinking about anti-nuclear and they was asking me also during that time, uh, uh, but what should, should substitute nuclear? What is a, as a clean way to produce energy? Mm. And uh, it was uh, completely exotic during that time. So it was... Uh, the when we were in late 70s uh, and uh, uh, then uh, wanted to study a little bit but there was nothing available and um, okay electrical engineering seems to be the closest on that uh, and then I, I but uh, when I was doing uh, my thesis there a master thesis they, they considered uh, photovoltaic energy that's some strange energy production I think it's only suitable for spacecrafts and uh, you are an electrical engineer, um, you should uh, have studied uh, then uh, a spacecraft technology or something like this. And uh, so I couldn't uh, really uh, make my diploma, it was called the master's, uh, it was something equivalent to the uh, master's. And um, so it wasn't possible to do that. And there was only one old lecturer was receiving one course in solar energy, Mr. Eder, he was called, I don't know whether he's still alive. Mm. Uh, it was in the early 80s. Uh, and. Uh, then um, the second step, I got the opportunity at Professor Hanich at the Technical University Berlin to go more into depth uh, on renewable energy, basically on uh, photovoltaics. Yeah. It was enormously expensive during that time. Uh, so it was about uh, one kilowatt hour was more than two marks. Uh, so uh, was it one euro per kilowatt hour? And uh, 
Uh, but still, I had the hope that it's getting cheaper, and uh, it was actually true. So it was, uh, it got uh, very much cheaper than nowadays. And if you see the latest development, I think was by reading a tender from uh, Qatar, where they offered uh, one kilowatt hours of uh, solar electricity for 1.4 euro cent per kilowatt hour. Mm. So it's uh, almost a hundred times cheaper than it has been before. Yeah, yeah, it's a wonderful development. Um, and and you. You work in the academic sector, but you also founded a few companies, as I outlined in the in the beginning. So it was just a, a first. It was only possible in the academic sector because there was no commercial use besides spacecraft or something like yeah. this for photovoltaics. So this was, uh, and then um, at the end, I got the uh, some students were asking me, "Yes, it's very interesting what you do, and especially in Brazil." So I have a farm, and my father wants to produce energy, and for these off-grid systems. Um, If you just have other opportunity just to have a gasoline generator and uh, which uh, consumes a lot of gasoline but also needs a lot of maintenance and lifetime is uh, relatively short um, so their photovoltaic already became uh, competitive and uh, therefore the students are asking me several for example whether we can found a company to install it and to import the stuff still a big problem in brazil to import stuff because Uh, Brazil thinks uh, they can do everything on their own and even a solar uh, uh, factory but first you have to create the market and you just have to have some imported products this yeah. poses some some difficulties at the end we started to make some exemplarity projects uh, so we with every project we try to something new kind of hybrid systems uh, there's also some um, Uh, farms and so on, they have a kind of grid connections, but very um, weak grid connections. So often electricity is sometimes there, sometimes not. And so they have to have an intermediate operation of the PV uh, systems. So we have to um, put the uh, PV into uh, uh, yes, um, to a mode that we have uh, off and on grid systems. And for example, this was not possible because there were no inverters which can do off-grid and on-grid, the same mm. inverter, so you had to buy two inverters. I think it was only one or two companies in the world which, which really uh, um, were able to do that, uh, but this has been enormously expensive. And so we just tried to something and see where uh, the lack in the market has been. And this was also a bit promoted in these conferences, so it was just a choice between academics, the industry, and the population, and yeah. the politicians, uh, to see really uh, where to go, because uh, sometimes, uh, They don't listen a lot to each other. So they have all very kind of different ideas uh, how to do this. And uh, with this Congress, we try to uh, find a common platform for them, uh, just for the industry to present their products uh, for the other, for the, uh, for the consumer to see what's available and uh, ask the industry yeah. what's missing and to give the guidelines uh, to the politicians what has to be done. And this turned out by, uh, quite, quite good. Uh, the end uh, because uh, the one of my students um, Johannes Kissel uh, he was just planned to stay for a practicum in uh, Brazil but then he got married and he's now since uh, 20 years there and he was then working at the HTTZ uh, and they made uh, this legislation now in Brazil uh, this is very favorable which is a, a true net metering legislation that means uh, you have a Uh, can generate one kilowatt hour of solar electricity, feed it into the grid, and you get the same price you pay for your electricity you get from the grid. So it's just a real one-by-one one, um, uh, uh, value of, of your solar electricity. This makes it very easy to calculate, and also it's automatically inflation compensated. 
because if there is inflation, electricity price goes up, uh, so does, does goes your um, uh, feed-in rate. Or, the value uh, of the produced kilowatt hours go, also goes up. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, that's much more favorable than the actual German uh, fixed uh, rate. K was good in the beginning because you get a higher rate than uh, you paid for, but now it's vice versa. You can produce uh, solar electricity uh, um, for nine cents and you get 10 cents, but actually you pay about 30 cents per kilowatt hour from the grid. And uh, that's quite a lot. That's really not just because uh, it's electricity. Okay, it's not always permanently available, but uh, it's one kilowatt hour is electricity. Why you should get three times less than you produce yes. for it. And this legislation was took off in Brazil. I left already, but uh, uh, due to the efforts of Johannes Kissel, this was um, uh, this was successful at the end. And this is still in place in Brazil. Uh, yeah, there's some um, Johannes Kissel. Meanwhile, last year, or two years, one and a half year ago, he went to Bolivia, also GTZ with a similar approach there that they implement the net metering. So the opponents are saying, okay, you don't pay something for the grids, and they want to have some grid tax. Um, um, so it's not completely a true one-by-one uh, uh, -one tariff, but uh, still uh, quite favorable. So you don't pay a lot for the uh, use of the grid. Yeah. Um, I have to admit to on the other side that in Brazil it's very favorable because uh, if there's a lot of sunshine, people uh, use a lot of air conditioning and so it uh, fits very uh, well to the consumption curve. All right. You uh, get uh, the it's a bit of problem in Germany. between so production and consumption. Sunshine yeah. winter and uh, we don't have a lot, uh, we have most consumption in winter. In yeah. Brazil it's the other way around. We have most consumption in summer and uh, most consumption during midday and the afternoon. Yeah. So, uh, so in Brazil the, the system still is, is still in place, if I understand you correctly. Uh, the system, yes, it's still in place um, yeah. with some variations. Um, uh, uh, so, but it's almost a one-by-one one tariff, okay. uh, feed-in tariff Super. there. Yeah. And, um, and uh, but early before you went to Brazil, you you founded Zolon, right? Um, which uh, first publicly as a first publicly traded solar company. How did that? Uh, how did that happen? Yeah. How did you guys all meet? There's a quite a number, uh, of, quite a list was, of founders. Uh, quite a quite a funny story. I was. Uh, together sitting my, with my professor, uh, Professor Hanic in Berlin, discussing my PhD thesis and so on. I know it was already, I think, habilitation at that time. So it was a uh, second stage habilitation. The thing you have to think is in order to get a university lecturer, you have to have a kind of second PhD in Germany. I think this, this is only happens in, I think, a handful of countries like Switzerland, Austria, and France has this kind of thing. So habilitation is not a real translation for that, even in English. But yeah. uh, uh, so we are sitting together and uh, then uh, some people came and say, okay, um, I heard um, during that time we were wanted to found a solar center, which is a kind of mixture between a research center and uh, just a public exhibition and uh, the, uh, just to make uh, solar energy more popular um, yeah. in, 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 in Germany or in Berlin specifically. And um, then uh, Brigitte Flore, Paul Bruno was not present at that time, but um, Rainer Lemon and so they approached us and uh, coming into this meeting, uh, which was also uh, habilitation and then about the solar center. And uh, they asked when it's ready, we want to build a solar factory there. And uh, okay. then uh, uh, they don't oh, know, it will take a long time, but uh, the solar factory sounds interesting. What technology are you using and so on. And, uh, and they didn't have any clue. So um, uh, Rainer was basically working on um, 
wind and uh, wind um, monitoring, wind power monitoring, and uh, Birgit was uh, importing coffee from Nicaragua. And so they, they were, oh, no, we are just open to that. And um, when I was first time in Brazil in 1994, I met Paul Bruno there, was uh, really uh, into the uh, solar cell technology. I just, yeah. uh, and I said, oh, um, came to Brazil recently and uh, he didn't have a lot of, to do. Uh, and I said, oh, I could keep you, uh, put you in touch with him and uh, he can help you what technology you use and how you to set up a really a factory on that. Uh, finally turned out to be only um, a, a model factory, but anyway, it was quite uh, helpful to put some technicians there and also I participated. And um, then, uh, but the problem was uh, to decide because uh, then I got a call from Brazil, uh, whether they have a nice, uh, well-paid uh, five years contract in Brazil. Also my, met my future wife there. And uh, so I couldn't really decide then uh, between uh, Solon. Uh, or the, I, I decided finally, but it was quite hard decision whether to stay at Solon uh, and uh, uh, have this uh, professorship in Brazil. Um, lastly, my, my uh, PhD father, Professor Hanisch said, oh, come on, this is, this, is, this is not lucrative, this solar energy in Germany, it never will become lucrative. <laughs> I thought, I'm not sure about that, but uh, on the other hand, the, the, the professorship uh, is, is something more, uh, at least for five years, it was quite stable income and so on, and uh, because this was not sure at Solon weather, because uh, this was really um, kind of, so we jumped from a called Arbeitsgemeinschaft, so it just kind of kind of club where we uh, uh, meet each other and exchange idea. And uh, then was the idea where to get money and uh, this was quite hard to get. And um, finally got the idea just to make, make a, a share founding company. And this was why we all had all other um, more kind of alternative way of thinking. So, so shareholding companies was real pure capitalism and was really uh, not so well seen, but at the end, um, uh, it's a it's, it's actually a quite good uh, idea if you uh, want to attract money quickly uh, so you don't have to have new contracts you can just sell shell, uh, sell the share yes, and buy yeah. shares very quickly without yeah. uh, making new uh, social contracts and so on which is usually the case if you um, sell shares of company and so on uh, mm. if you go to the um, register and so on so this is, was not necessary and um, um, but where did we stop? Oh, this is my now. Um, so Solon, uh, um, you, 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 you were struggling to go to Brazil. Or, I went to yeah. Brazil at the end. So uh, this was the story then. And I think of 1998, 1999 was in Brazil then. And together with Paul, we founded the Photovoltaic Institute. Uh, after he founded Q-Cells, quite famous yeah. company. It was for a while, it was the biggest uh, solar cell producers in the world. Yeah. Um, and um, but then he left uh, Q cells uh, because it got boring for him because it was just uh, SIP systems and only uh, controllers which were there and uh, there was not uh, not really a big room for innovation and then uh, he called me once I think we was in Hawaii or something like on a conference and we had a long talk and uh, then we got the idea to make a kind of engineering office uh, in in uh, Berlin but lately it turned out to be a quality office. And uh, then some other, uh, Sven Lehmann and uh, uh, Mr. Arndt joined us. Uh, and then uh, Mr. Arndt went off. And then uh, at the end, it was uh, made some subsidiaries in um, uh, in China first, and then uh, now United States. And so it got really a big, uh, big thing. And now. it still is, right? So uh... yes, yes, it still is. Uh, so 
can look yeah. up uh, www.pi/berlin.com and uh, um, fortunately to my university uh, work I cannot uh, participate uh, but uh, it still exists a lot and I'm a company yeah. uh, so you founded three companies at least the ones I know of so uh, Solon uh, PI Berlin and then uh, Rio Solar so I'm I'm sure that also many potential founders are, are listening to this podcast um, looking people looking for opportunities in solar so what what advice would you give them when you start a new company because you've done this so many times uh, what, what's yeah, the... first you have to stand, uh, understand your product so you have to really understand what you're doing and uh, where's the market and um, uh, usually you underestimate the so you say okay there's a profit margin uh, Maybe this cake can make it 30% cheaper, but sometimes that's not enough because you underestimate the, the fixed costs, uh, which uh, is an office and uh, salaries and so on. And um, also some delays, for example, Brazil, we got a lot of problems with customs uh, to import stuff. So it has to be, uh, you have to get a certification to, to get into Brazil and sometimes there's delay because there is some expected things like a, a strike and so on. And uh, so nothing is done for the importation and uh, stuff like this. So expect the unexpected all the time. This is really big thing. And uh, uh, also mm -hmm. with Solon, it was also not very lucrative in the beginning. Uh, so it was just started to take off uh, when the uh, feed-in legislation in Germany started uh, before you have to really, um, have um, a long, uh, a very long-term perspective really to um, uh, survive and have uh, also some for some funds for that, um, because um, um, and also they come up. Um, this, uh, you have also competitors coming up. Uh, if you have a really good idea, uh, um, and yes, so, so so be prepared. Let's let's summarize that. So it's be prepared for the unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so PI Berlin is, is still running. Um, Solon uh, unfortunately didn't make it like so many other companies, just like one of my companies I was involved with. Um, so why, why did so many solar cell producers, solar module producers in, in, in Germany fail? What's your take? Because you were heavily involved in that and mm. you followed it everything from start to end, one, one is inclined to say, right? Yeah. No, um, as I as I as I mentioning, as I've been mentioning uh, at the beginning, it wasn't really lucrative because it was still far away to be um, competitive to the grid uh, electricity prices. Off-grid systems, it was already like in Brazil, it was already competitive. Um, so when when not, let's add a, a, a at the years about two thousand or something like this. Two thousand, okay, yeah. Yes, and um, but fortunately in Germany there were some uh, quite good politicians, uh, this uh, uh, Mr. Fell and uh, Hermann Scheer. I really uh, got the idea we have to have um, um, make a help for uh, uh, because this technology is good uh, solar energy is available everywhere so uh, it's not also the political implications involved with the fossil fuels that you have to have uh, be very nice to Saudi Arabia because they have the whole oil uh, and uh, 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 this is really strange for democratic uh, countries, so they have to be nice to Saudi Arabia, which is not democratic at all, which and uh, uh, and uh, because they depend on the oil. So with yeah. with the independency of uh, um, oil, uh, you are not um, um, uh, uh, you can really judge more um, more neutral in a way, just on all the, in uh, international relations and so on. So yeah. this is also another. Um, implication uh, which makes it really a political thing not only a technical thing that we want to have uh, a cheap electricity and uh, there are some uh, Mr. Scher for example was working actually uh, 
as a um, defense advisor. So he's not really a solar guy. So he was working for a long time as a German Social Democrat Party uh, as a defense advisor. And then he said, oh, with solar energy, we can solve many problems and uh, we have to help them a little bit. And um, then uh, he got the idea we make a fixed feed-in rate to make it, uh, to give a perspective uh, to uh, the investors of, uh, for uh, first for to, to which want to implement um, uh, solar power plants. So they know, okay, uh, if I set up uh, the, the power plant now, uh, I give for, for 20 years, I give a certain rate. The beginning was even 56 cents per kilowatt hour. And um, so I have some profit margin. Uh, usually it's not so much at the, at the uh, 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 five to 10 percent. Uh, and uh, then, um, this took off, so people say, okay, uh, it's really interesting to invest in solar because there's a feed-in legislation, so the uh, utilities have to buy uh, the electricity for a certain price, so don't have to negotiate every uh, PPA or the power purchase agreement separately because it's given by law. They have to pay me that. Um, and um, there was also um, for the, some people forget it, uh, for give a long-term perspective for the investors in solar factories. Because if you want to set up a factory, you want to know whether your product will be sold when the factory is ready. Uh, so you have, uh, this is may maybe takes two years. And then it has to being uh, still in operation, um, depending on the business plan, but maybe for 10 years or so, in order to um, recapture the capital you invested in, in that uh, company. So you have to have a, a perspective of, of at least 12 years uh, for, for um and this was not possible before. It was only possible due to this uh, German feed-in legislation, which, which was then adopted to many other countries. And that in started in 2000, in 2000, right? It just, that was just yes, a celebration, yes, right. 20 years of feed-in tariff yeah, legislation, yeah, yeah. So right? This started in really at 2000. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, then uh, uh, there's also a second mechanism, uh, which makes it... Um, also more interesting because there have been some funding initiative uh, before. So you get just a certain amount of money to install your PV system. And uh, then people uh, were not really eager to have a high uh, energy yield from the system and uh, really to um, uh, invest in a sustainable way. But due to this uh, feed-in legislation, uh, which was then also that um, uh, there was some degressive uh, um, feed-in tariff. So if you would install a year later, uh, then you only uh, get a 7% less of the initial feed-in tariff. Yeah. You instead, two years later, two times 7% and so on. And so this was an initiative to invest now, not to wait until the solar cells get cheaper. They got also cheaper. Uh, but uh, this was also really a breakthrough that uh, uh, this, and this was went very well, I think, until 2009 or so, now 2010. Uh, then uh, Mr. Rösler got the idea, ah, the, this runs too good. Uh, we have to stop them a little bit, and then he started. He was the sorry, Mr. Rösler for our uh, so anger and the, the international the guests. Uh, okay. Yes, he was from the, the from the German Liberal Party. Yeah, and I think he was some kind of economic minister and so on. And uh, uh, he thought this is kind of socialistic planning. What is there? This, this legislation, but uh, um, then it was uh, 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 really uh, it destroyed all this planning. Uh, um, um, perspective of um, the investors for solar power plants and also for um, the investors in solar factories. So the uh, banks, they raised their interest rates if you want to invest in solar and uh, 
Uh, on the other uh, hand, uh, the output uh, and you just got, um, I think in 2009 or 2010, you got suddenly 25% less uh, from uh, the feed-in tariff and this broke the neck of, of, of most of the solar industry. So about 100,000 jobs have been lost. And How many? The Chinese, oh, sorry? 100,000? 100,000 lost. 30,000 yeah. was at the beginning of the, on the high times and uh, then it was 30,000 only. So if you compare it to the coal industry, uh, they're still negotiating with billions and billions, billions, and altogether these are only 20,000 jobs, and not even nice jobs. These are cold jobs. We uh, we offered high-tech jobs, uh, 100,000 uh, future jobs, and uh, people think the negotiation is about 40 billion a euro for about uh, 20,000 people of workforce. And uh, this, uh, the other thing was uh, for the solar, it wasn't really necessary really to 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 we would have continued with the decreation of seven. Uh, percent, and then we would have arrived at quite reasonable uh, prices for solar. Um, yeah. It's keeping up a little bit now, and it's the last couple of years more for private systems uh, together with a battery at home, so they um, uh, are more independent from the grid feed rates and so on. So it just they use their own electricity. But um, Germany had, I think, in 2009 or something like this, about 50% of the world market. And uh, now it's only 5% of the world market in, in solar. Yeah. And also the technology is lost. Uh, this, is, uh, this is mostly everything happens in China now. And uh, this is a bit of pity because uh, it would have been a great opportunity for the German industry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, in 2009, 2008, because I was myself a managing director of a solar company back then. I mean, so I remember quite well, on top of the, let's say, new legislation. And you mentioned that there was also the financial crisis, of course, right? which uh, I'm sure uh, I think it, didn't it, help. It was positive even for the solar uh, oh, really? 2008 uh, because uh, the sun is always shining and you've got a, a fixed return. Uh, uh, so if you invest in another company, you don't know whether your output exists in two years because the company is yeah. bought bank bankrupt, but the yeah. solar uh, sun uh, doesn't go bankrupt. So if you have a system in place, uh, uh, there would still be output of it. Uh, and uh, electricity is always okay. uh, something of value. So... It was a so kind you, of so despite the financial crisis, uh, solar, <laughs> solar companies uh, broke. Yeah. All right, and then of course there was the massive uh, competition then from from China, right? Exactly, um, exactly. Uh, so this that was an for the German to, for the German uh, industry. Yeah. We have a fixed uh, uh, fix, uh, to to prohibit imports uh, uh, to, from China. So I think there was a or at least some minimum prices from China, but uh, it didn't turn out very well because there was only one, basically one company, uh, can I mention Solar World? Sure, yeah. There's only company left or- uh, By then only one company was left, Solar World, right? And they probably the other already have been broke. And so it was um, first too late. And also it was not the right, um, because it didn't give uh, the long-term perspective it was would have been more important to give a long-term perspective for the long-term feed-in rates uh, rather than uh, to have a minimum price for the solar modules uh, which is ridiculous if you have uh, uh, some technology technology progress and you can make the solar cells cheaper and you would be able to produce solar electricity cheaper why should you keep up artificially the prices uh, yeah so many critics say, um, I mean, definitely the feed-in tariff, the, the EEG uh, law was very helpful to bring the cost down to uh, um, achieve scale, um, economies of scale. Um, 
but in the end that helped mainly let's say foreign and, and chinese uh, solar companies uh, to expand their production capacity and they uh, these critics also add then that there was a lack of in the proper industrial lawmaking to uh, you know not just create the market but also create to keep the industry in, in germany which possibly china is doing by giving out that's what others say giving out very cheap loans to uh, mm. build massive both is true so this one part is mm. politics as i've been already mentioning so this is was uh, also it was a bit um, uh, kind of german fear or whatever so uh, just as chinese they weren't fear about really really making very very big um, uh, uh, factories in germany this was you know they limited themselves somehow so they're not really uh, eager to uh, really uh, stock up more to make it uh, cheaper. They just more focused on making really high efficiency solar cells and uh, they're diversifying in technology because they're a bit afraid that uh, some technology uh, can emerge, which they didn't know of. And so they make smaller companies with uh, different technologies. Uh, and the Chinese, they took this most simplest technology, silicon solar, and they just... Uh, uh, stocked up, stocked up, so make uh, gigawatt plants in Germany was still uh, in the 100 megawatt range uh, and uh, yeah. therefore they couldn't be uh, really competitive. It's not only the working costs, if you go in a big factory, they, you hardly see a lot of workers there. Um, uh, it was really uh, the uh, the lack of uh, a, a bit uh, a global perspective in Germany. So they just were more focused on the German market. Okay, they're exporting also some, but then um, should also have been considered uh, if you are the module, uh, so even solar um, uh, Q cells, they just uh, made um, uh, uh, solar cells for a very long time. And uh, just at the very end, they started to build modules. Um, and now, I think, is they start to uh, make systems. And uh, this should have been coming much earlier, just to think about energy supply, not only making solar modules, it's energy supply. So. Uh, um, Africa, where one billion people without electricity, how they can supply them? You have to have solar module, you have to have batteries, you have to make inverters and so on, and yeah. to um, make a, a complete integrated uh, system. I was expecting Bosch would, would do that. When they entered the market, oh, we said Bosch has everything. They have batteries, they have a lot of uh, power electronics. and uh, All uh, Siemens, right? I mean, Siemens yeah, is Siemens. a power uh, plant yes. company, right? They, they, they've been uh, yes, in Siemens solar for a long time. Right, when yeah, I started uh, in January 3. Unfortunately, they, they were not really eager to decrease prices. So this is, uh, they started uh, in the 80s. There were already uh, solar modules from Siemens. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there were some governmental funded projects, uh, so development projects. And uh, Siemens was basically only supplier. And uh, they know what they get for the uh, uh, modules. And so they, uh, they didn't weren't eager to push down the prices this is not only in solar i think wind also they were quite early involved but uh, uh, then uh, the smaller companies in germany took over uh, during that time enercon was also a small company and so on Take yeah. and so on which which uh, made it really competitive uh, and this wasn't the case with siemens so siemens is more uh, um, almost like a governmental entity uh, so they were not really eager to uh, okay uh, <laughs> So for, when I studied, Siemens was really a dream, so a dream, the dream employer because uh, it was quite safe. Like a civil uh, servant, you mean? Yeah. and uh, uh, the, the, the companies offered a lot of opportunities. But this happened within many other countries, like IBM and so on. This have been uh, 
just the traditional big companies in the 80s and so on. This is uh, so, and, um, but, but I mean, it is surprising, right? I mean, uh, I was in uh, Ghana installing solar modules in uh, 1996, and the only module where we got. Was it photowatt back then already? Maybe photowatt, and there was Siemens, the M55 module. Yeah, right? yeah it was super tiny, 55 watts. Like 55 watts. Now we're talking yeah. about 500 watts, mm. and they were the only ones. So they've been, and they also the inverters were from Siemens. So you wonder why they didn't scale the business and why they are not the dominating solar company these days, mm. right? Yes, they could have been. Um, what, what, why do you think they didn't? From uh, from Solon, uh, when they started, when we started Solon. I think the basic trigger was uh, a study by Greenpeace during that time. They showed that it's really possible to make solar much cheaper. Um, yeah. uh, uh, what I think was by MBB at that time, Messerschmitt, Belko, Blom, this study. Yeah, yeah. They uh, uh, showed that it's really cheaper. And then uh, people like Rainer Lemon and Birgit Flore came up. Wow, we can, uh, we should do something about it. And so uh, we are joining and uh, then set up Solonet. Uh, one of the first companies was uh, Solarfabrik in, in South Germany. Yeah. And they heard that we made it go public with the shareholding companies. They did it a week later, also All quite right. in a hurry. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, this really uh, triggered uh, the thing. Is, is, uh, if you show that's possible before, you think, ah, there was Siemens, and you were a bit afraid of competing with Siemens and so on. But uh, when the study was on the uh, uh, on, on the table, this was like, okay, that's possible. This is uh, uh, well researched and. Uh, uh, why not? Let's risk that. And uh, so this was really the uh, trigger point uh, of all the solar businesses in Germany. Before it was not really a business, uh, as I told you. We, you are just yeah. if you want to do it for solar, you either go to Siemens uh, or you go to uh, uh, the uh, you be in the academic sector. Uh, yeah. This is. Uh, well, there was yeah. a phone ring, or uh, yeah, someone's on the door. Delivery man's. So we were talking about Solon, uh, how it all got started. It wasn't lucrative. Then we got the law, the EEG, and we were wondering why Siemens was, didn't enter. So or Bosch, yes, because they got everything. Bosch, yeah, I mean, Bosch did enter, but yes, but and Bosch then. did enter, but quite late. And then they uh, they bought Ersol, and uh, but it was a late stage, right? And then they, I think they they didn't enjoy the business. It was too late, right? They uh, yeah, for the solar modules, I uh, was already mentioning that uh, it's just not about solar modules. This is just uh, make is only one component of the electricity supply, yeah. and uh, then the Chinese already focused on that, and then, so it's very hard to compete against the Chinese with a com component. The same yeah. with the cars. So the the, the uh, probably the Chinese can make every a component of a car much cheaper but they are not uh, able to make complete system like a car uh, entire now they are but uh, let's say 10 years ago uh, this was just a, a dominance of the german um, uh, car industry that they can make even with chinese companies because a lot of electronics and stuff may come from china and even in german cars but they are really uh, good in the system engineering uh, to make a, a good working system like a car but it would have been the same for uh, energy supply system Mm. Um, and uh, this uh, was missed this chance. I was asking some Bosch people, but uh, so the the Bosch solar people were not talking to the automotive people from Bosch, and so on. There was, was a kind of uh, internal policy which uh, why they didn't work out. Uh, the 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 technical opportunity was there. Uh, this was, um, but they didn't see the chance because nobody else was doing it, and they, they didn't want to be the first probably or something like this. Yeah. Also in Brazil, you see if you you see Bosch air conditioner. 
standing close to a Bosch module, but they don't fit together. So you, if you say, okay, I want to power my Bosch air conditioner with a Bosch solar modules, there was nothing in between. And now you have to feed into the grid and then you get electricity from, uh, from the grid and yeah. put it in your uh, very, very strange things, which we, they could okay. have easily uh, solved. Uh, um, uh, solved and, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah that's a pity. So you think uh, a more holistic approach, total system engineering exactly, would have helped right to uh, protect yes. the... Yes. Yeah to protect the, the market share mm. and move on, yeah. So you mentioned when you started, uh, the, the price for solo cells was uh, insanely high. It wasn't even a product, right? It was, it was just an R&D idea, you could say. And then the prices dropped dramatically due to the economy of scale. Um, what, what's the share of solar energy these days in, in uh in German, do you, do you, can, can you tell well, these days exactly? <laughs> so, this is really high because uh, we have a very uh, nice, uh, good weather period, yeah. and so we have uh, uh, some days, uh, midday, so there could be up to 70% share of solar power. But for uh, electricity demand, yeah, yeah, for electricity for, for, yeah. for, for some hours. Uh, but uh, uh, if you see um, over the year, it's about seven to eight percent. So, seven to eight percent done by solar, winter, yeah. we have much less, and uh, um. Yes, and uh, if you go to the energy transition, we have to think, uh, 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 right? We have to think also about mobility, about uh, heat uh, uh, and so on. So we have to do the sector coupling. Uh, but while uh, the price of solar uh, is so cheap now, so even in Germany, you can uh, make solar electricity if you go to large scale uh, in the vicinity to three to four cents per kilowatt hour. Uh, this is uh, very competitive against all other uh, uh, energy options, especially yeah. if you take into consideration the CO2 tax, uh, which will be in power, I think, next year, uh, in the vicinity of 30 uh, euro uh, per ton. Uh, that's its equal if you have a coal power plant, a lignite power plant uh, working, uh, which makes uh, one kilowatt hour of lignite uh, just uh, three euro cent more expensive per kilowatt hour. And then uh, you have a solar well. Be, uh, uh, um, uh, below that that value and uh, this makes uh, solar really competitive yeah so what is required um so now solar is at uh three four cents in germany you, you, right in the beginning you mentioned in uh in regions with a lot more sun like uh saudi arabia um or qatar i think you mentioned one point you're already you're already so. talking about one cent that's dollar cent or euro cent or uh, I think it was Eurocent, uh, but it was the yeah. last publication. And also in Portugal, for example, there was one tender with uh, 1.5 cent per kilowatt hour. Eurocent per kilowatt hour, right. Power in Saudi uh, as Qatar. Uh, yeah. So the last tender was, uh, and this was uh, a Eurocent. But if you go more south, there's be more, of course, South Africa, you still have about 10% more irradiance uh, than, uh, uh, than Portugal, or even 15% more. That means it almost gets 15% cheaper. Uh, there uh, and uh, this uh, this hasn't been explored yet. Uh, so it's just uh, some kind of countries they see these opportunities and they invest a lot and uh, uh, make good tenders and uh, uh, have such low prices, which is really cheaper than everything. If you're just burning gas, uh, just thermal energy is more expensive than is electricity for 1.5 cent per kilowatt hour. Yeah. So. Uh... If you agree that uh, CO2 needs to be reduced, the emission of CO2 needs to be um, uh, avoided, then uh, obviously gas and coal is not an option. So why do you think uh, nuclear energy is not an option to, to move to a CO2-free uh, electricity market? 
Uh, generally, if you just see some technical point or very superficial point, you see, okay, it's not producing electric and so it's CO2. That must be good, but there are a lot of other constraints. First, the, uh, uh, the problem with the waste. So it's no final waste uh, storage. Uh, I think nowhere in the world, the Finns now say they will have something on something like this. Uh, then also from the supply of the fuel, uh, this is 100% important. There's no uranium mine or something like that in Germany, so you're still dependent. And um, then uh, from uh, even if some countries which are able to control it uh, uh, very sincerely, the, 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 uh, the, the, uh, the operation of nuclear power plants, there's always a nuclear option. This is, uh, I think France or England just started nuclear power because there was a military option for the uh, 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 for nuclear, and uh, I think Brazil in the 60s uh, they also started a nuclear program because they want to expect uh, they expect a nuclear bomb uh, and uh, now again now they have a kind of military detector or they they are going on the way to towards that. Uh, so um, how we would limit the amount of countries, why you should uh, allow Brazil to have nuclear power and prohibit to Iran or something like this. This was this so no how, global solution for nuclear power. Uh, yeah. for, so how is, for, how is nuclear uh, energy correlated to, to the military uh, application? I know because you can always modify uh, it. They say, usually people say, no, there are a lot of security systems which don't allow to enrich, uh, use enriched uh, 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 uranium uh, to build nuclear power if you're only allowed to a certain amount, but uh, how you can really control that. You see it, Iran, it's really, really uh, difficult uh, to, to control uh, all that stuff. And uh, uh, therefore, I don't see it as a global solution. And Iran mm. is already quite civilized. If you go to some countries in Africa, government is changing every uh, couple of weeks sometimes, and you never know what's, uh, what's going on, how you can offer them yeah. a, a nuclear power as an option. Yeah. This is, I think, pro called proliferation. This is a big uh, problem I see. So it's not as uh, suitable as a, a global measure to lower CO2. And last but not least is also the kind of operation you have of a nuclear power plant. Uh, the, if you have uh, solar and uh, wind and nuclear working together, um, so why should close down the solar power plants in Germany? It's not able to throttle down a lot. Uh, so a nuclear power plant always must have a minimum load of 40% of its maximum load. Yeah. Uh, below, that's not possible to... Um, you see it also, at the, even at negative electricity prices, uh, nuclear power plants never go down to zero. They're always working at about 40% of their value because it's technically not possible to... Yeah. Because the, um, they have to be cooled and so on. And... Uh, so I don't uh, see it as an option. Uh, so this is a more technical point. Also, the other technical point is, because if many countries uh, which have a vast extension, it's not only as tiny as Japan or Germany, where you can have some nuclear power plants and supply the whole countries. Uh, if you have large countries, for example, no lot about Brazil, uh, the, the uh, distances are enormous. Uh, and uh, uh, even in Germany, the grid costs are now more than the generation costs. In countries like Brazil, it would be much more uh, because the distances are much, much higher. So you have to spend a lot of money in the grid extension costs uh, for some nuclear power plants. And uh, you cannot install it inside the cities where electricity is most needed, as you can by solar. So you can cover all roofs inside the city with solar and you have the electricity right in place. That's not possible with nuclear. So you have always to add up the cost uh, for the grid extension and so on. Mm. And 
Uh, this is uh, this is also often not considered. Uh, there are some protagonists uh, which say, okay, nuclear is an option, but uh, they don't go into these details. All right. So uh, because it's a one power plant produces just so much energy, you need to cover a large area, and then the the grid the costs, costs uh, really drive up the business. the cost for the extra yeah. kilowatt hours. Um, and also, you have to secure uh, the forty uh, percent of minimum load. They did in Germany by offering uh, some special tariff. Uh, so yeah. if you have um, uh, um, 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 how you call a steelwork or something like that, you get the electricity during nighttime much cheaper, about half the cost than during daytime. Even for private households, if you have electricity heating, um, they uh, give the electricity for half the price during nighttime. And this was in the 60s and 70s uh, to uh, keep all the very uh, big uh, lignite and nuclear power plants working at uh, their minimum load. Mm. Uh, so they make this artificial consumption during nighttime. Before that, in the 60s, there was not a big uh, consumption during nighttime and they couldn't uh, really uh, operate a lot of nuclear power plants during that time. Because as I mentioned, they have always to keep the 40% running. Yeah, yeah. Um, some also say there's a lot of hidden costs in, in nuclear. That's why it's actually not so cheap. Do you have an oh, yeah, opinion yeah, on that? To mention, yes. Uh, for example, the insurance costs. Uh, the insurance is paid by the public uh, for nuclear power plants. Why, why is that? Government, uh, yeah. uh, because there was some uh, cost evaluation by, um, uh, by some insurance companies. Uh, and uh, they said, okay, if the risk is not really big, uh, but the costs are really high. And if we have to cover uh, all the costs, uh, we would have uh, so, so the premium for um, insurance uh, um, um, would be, I think, it was 72 billion insurance costs per year for nuclear power plants. And, for one uh, single one, yeah. I think it was even one single one. You can look it up. I think it was in the Manager magazine from in 2011. If you just type in uh, insurance costs of nuclear power plants in Google, you find that article. And this was made by a professional insurance companies. Uh, I don't know whether it was Münchner Rückversicherung or other uh, insurance yeah. companies. Yeah. Uh, so it was not only uh, just an estimation by Greenpeace or something like this. It was really yeah. a professional uh, insurance company. And therefore, it's covered uh, uh, by the public and the, uh, most of part of the world. And uh, these are not many people are aware of a lot. This is a big, big subvention uh, uh, because they say all this only solar is subventioned, uh, nuclear is really cheap. And and if you just um, uh, 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 go away from these hidden costs, also the the security costs. Uh, this is also a thing. Um, before 9-11, nobody was uh, thinking about that a passenger airplane could crash into a nuclear power plant. So the nuclear plants are only safe uh, to small uh, jet fighters uh, to crash into them. They are not capable to withstand uh, impacts of large passenger airplanes because nobody expecting that could happen. And uh, there was also a big study uh, uh, in Germany and they found out that not a single nuclear power plant in Germany would uh, withstand a 9-11 attack. Um, and uh, so it's it's really not safe. Uh, you can argue what's the proportion, and uh, it can make a lot of statistics, uh, but yeah. it's really hard. And uh, the risks are uh, covered by the government, and this is no other technology has that. If you just operate a, a wind power plant or a solar power plant, you have to be responsible for the power plant, the damages it may cause, and you have to pay the insurance companies insurance, yeah. to cover that. 
So from your words, it sounds like it's the super obvious choice to go solar, to go wind, to maybe go biogas or hydro, maybe in combination. And I guess also add some storage to uh, compensate for the fluctuation in the, uh, in the production of energy from solar yeah. and wind. So why is not the whole world running on 100% renewables? Why, why just 7% in Germany solar? And why, not, why is not every new, newly built power plant solar, wind, biogas, hydro? Uh, um, why is that, right? Even uh, if, particularly if it's even uh, not only from the environmental aspect, uh, but also from the, uh, the cost perspective, because you say it's, uh, it's cheaper. What's, what's stopping the, the whole world to go renewable? Uh, um, if you say it on a global perspective, most of the new new power plants are renewables now. So more yeah. than fifty percent of all new power plants constructed on the planet uh, are uh, um, renewables. What's what's the metric uh, so for that? Is, G hmm? Gigawatts. What's the metric for the fifty percent? Is it gigawatts or kilowatt hours or? or? Um, I think it's only gigawatts. So we have to admit it's just installed power, not the generated electricity. So in per terms of generated electricity, it's. Uh, it's less okay. I have to admit, uh, this is. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but let's assume it's twenty-five. So it's still twenty-five is nice, right? But it's not hundred percent. So why, why is it not hundred percent, right? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a big problem because there's kind of let's say customs uh, that the people uh, are used to uh, have conventional power plants, uh, and uh, I was um, I was seeing that in Brazil. So we are identifying some projects in Amazon. So we say, okay, uh, they are paying so much for the diesel and uh, we are, would be much cheaper with solar, um, but uh, they're kind of some kind of diesel networks. So uh, the, the government was thinking is doing something good to subvention remote power supply. And uh, um, formerly it was only possible by diesel. So they are subventioning the diesel supply there and uh, a lot of money from the supply chain gained a lot of money by that. Uh, so they are not really eager to uh, uh, let solar there because they wouldn't uh, gain anything because once the solar plant is installed, uh, they, they don't uh, gain anything by it. Yeah. And so uh, they are heavy lobbying against solar uh, because right. uh, they say, okay, so many families live from the diesel supply there and uh, uh, one is there for repair the diesel. And it was also in North Africa with a project we did that the Technical University there, so we installed uh, uh, a solar power plant and was even sabotaged uh, by people because uh, they, some people lived quite a lot by doing permanent repair on this uh, diesel power pump uh, and solar pump is once installed by a boring company even and uh, they didn't get any uh, profit uh, from that. Yeah. So this is a constraint which you don't see on the first, if you, you're absolutely right if you say it's cheaper, why don't people do it? Um, so these are some kind of old-fashioned, so the, sometimes the legislation and so on is a bit behind that. But if you see, for example, astonishingly, a lot of ha is happening in the United States at the moment. So even with the Trump government, uh, some investors, they see just the costs and they say, okay, in Texas, they, most of the new, new, uh, new power plants are solar uh, because they, they have oil a lot there close by, but they see uh, solar is much cheaper. So we, we go into solar. Uh, this is uh, quite, quite astonishing. Okay. So, um, I mean, re remote locations is, is certainly special. And then you, you mentioned the, the legislation, like subvention for, let's say, conventional uh, forms of, of energy. Then you have the areas where, in Texas, where people just look at the cost and it's, and it's thriving, right? It's, it's moving mm -hmm. ahead. 
Um, but also uh, from the type of, type of organization. So, for yeah. example, if you get a nuclear industry, you make some nuclear industry uh, institutes, and you get some. I was seeing uh, by chance a, a presentation by Rosatom. They uh, they give Rosatom. Uh, that's a, a Russian a Russian uh, a Russian nuclear, nuclear power plant uh, installer and. Uh, and they did it much smarter than the solar people did. Uh, so they're not offering a uh, power plant. So they're offering uh, 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 just obviously this presentation was intended to give to some uh, stakeholders in the government or so. Uh, and uh, they say, okay, we offer you also study in Moscow for 100 students. And uh, you can also make use uh, for sterilizing uh, with, uh, with nuclear power uh, stuff and so on. So they are giving a more holistic concept than just uh, selling solar modules, and yeah. uh, this uh, the solar industry could have could have been learned of that. Uh, this is yeah. uh, quite interesting. What what uh, and uh, so they they are just working around uh, that to set up an institute, a research institute in the country, uh, which is also um, uh, quite good for the politicians, so they can open up a research institute and uh, be proud of of it and so on. Uh, this is not really happening in the solar business. So they just install the power plant and make it really cheap and that's it. And uh, uh, the, the, all the uh, surrounding stuff is not happening. Also from the workers perspective, uh, the, the coal uh, people are uh, organized in unions, very strong unions, very traditional unions. And so uh, they uh, have a lot of power in the government or in the, in the political area um, by, was here, I think Mr. Gabriel was once uh, having, having the idea to close down uh, the coal industry much earlier uh, due to the CO2 emissions. Um, but then there was, uh, within one day, there was a demonstration here in Berlin uh, uh, and uh, within a couple of hours, uh, they shut it down because the unions were quickly organizing a, um, a demonstration there and a strike. And uh, uh, this didn't happen with the solar industry. I think uh, there was not a union for solar and uh, the startup is not really also uh, uh, very union-like. Uh, so uh, people, they lost 100,000 uh, jobs and uh, publicly uh, it, it hasn't been uh, really recognized or uh, uh, for some people. But for the coal miners, it's always, uh, it's always in the news that the coal mi miners are losing their jobs. And, uh, and uh, as a result, they got really, really a lot of money uh, for, uh, yeah. for giving up the jobs. So uh, if, if I put that together, that would mean like smarter lobbying of the solar industry would be helpful, right? So you, you compare the, cool, the yes, Rosatom the, activities and also, but in, in a way also to uh, align with the, the workers, the unions uh, to, uh, to protect the, the, uh, the, the jobs would have been a exactly, smart exactly. lobbying, right? For the solar industry, right? Exactly. And as you said, nobody took care of the at least 100,000 jobs that got lost in the solar industry uh, in, uh, in yeah, the recent years. Not many years. people yeah. even don't know that. Uh, so it's... Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So smart lobbying, you, you mean. Yeah. It's a similar a strong lobbying. So they just... Uh, the moment is under discussion with this corona crisis. So uh, they want to uh, subvention uh, uh, new buying of new cars. So they just do the same that they give... Uh, to, uh, I don't know, two or 4,000 euros uh, to give a new car, which is still emitting CO2. It's not for electric cars, mm. just to keep the jobs in the, solo, uh, in the, in the car, in the conventional in the, car in industry. In the car industry, yeah. Uh, so there's also, that's a good point, uh, moving to a very current topic, uh, the, uh, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Um, many are afraid of that, uh, or maybe, uh, maybe others are looking forward that, um, that the... Uh, 
the current crisis around the the COVID nineteen is now uh, could set an end to to the expansion of renewables, right? Because uh, for many, that's just uh, a lot of money that needs to be spent on renewables. And uh, so, what's your take on that? I Once would say the opposite, uh, yeah. because it's a good opportunity now, because uh, this uh, energy transition has to be done anyway. And uh, you need a lot of investment uh, now. Uh, why should you uh, put it into the old industry, uh, which uh, was obsolete anyway? Uh, so the politicians are really smart. I don't know whether uh, this depends on the, the kind of politicians. I, sometimes I doubt that they are really smart and uh, they would uh, keep the old industry going. Uh, but, uh, but you mentioned the lobbying, so, right? So you mentioned the uh, lack of positive, good lobbying for the renewables, right? So uh, yes, this is exactly uh, this, is, uh, this is one issue. And uh, sometimes also the politicians are afraid. Uh, if you see the background of the politicians, uh, they're not scientists, they are not uh, engineers, uh, they are just uh, uh, touristical persons, and touristical persons are. Uh, relate to the existing uh, uh, rights quo. and standards yeah. and yeah. so on. And uh, so uh, this is already a conservative element in, in, in the brain, which, uh, which keeps uh, sticking more to the old stuff. And uh, in times of crisis, they, um, so it could be, it's a big opportunity, let's say. Uh, so if, you, if we, we would have some innovative uh, uh, um, people in the politics uh, that would, uh, uh, say, okay, that's a good opportunity. We have to invest a lot and uh, why not doing in something useful and uh, something progressive, uh, which is uh, compatible with the future, uh, yeah. then uh, would be uh, quite a positive uh, thing with, uh, with the COVID-19 price. Also from the other side, uh, so what we have been always promoting, like we do now, uh, 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 video conferencing and so on. And uh, it's good for the environment. If you don't go to conference, if you do video conferencing, uh, the, uh, the, the um, uh, carbon footprint is much less now. If you're just using some what hours now here to uh, talk yeah. to each other, uh, while we would have uh, spent uh, tons of uh, carbon dioxide uh, uh, to go the to, road, uh, yeah. to a conference uh, yeah. around the world, and uh, hopefully Zoom so, is using. Uh, I see many positive yeah. uh, things uh, uh, there, uh, uh, and uh, it also shows me how quickly uh, some things can be changed. Uh, this is showed that within a couple of days, everything changed, uh, yeah. and we saw uh, with the energy transition, it was really, really uh, very slow that something can be changed. So ah, the, uh, the 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 coal power plants can be switched off in 30 years only, and uh, no, 2030, not 30 years only, but uh, yeah. uh, so but in a matter of decades and so on. And uh, now things are done with uh, within some hours. Uh, uh, are changed uh, can be yeah. changed. Uh, yeah. And uh, for me, that's a quite interesting period at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, you, you're right. I think humans are good in uh, reacting on cr a real crisis. You wonder if the ecological crisis is big enough to, to make that change, right? Yes, uh, problem is the time delay. You see it already, uh, we have now a time delay of 14 days between uh, a measure. So you have a measure uh, that uh, people should stay at home and so on, and you see so the results they are, only yeah. in 14 days. That the infection. number of infected is going down. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, with uh, with the climate change is uh, it's not 14 days. It's maybe 14 years to yeah. do a measure now, which costs a lot of money, and you don't see an immediate result. You don't see it in two weeks. You don't see it in two years. You see it in a decade or so. That uh, yeah. if you decrease uh, 
So uh, and, uh, humans are, um, as, as you see now, some people make uh, manifestations now because they don't see the, uh, the result of the measures immediately. They yeah. uh, say, okay, uh, that's, uh, 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 we, we don't see the results immediately and therefore we, do, we don't accept these measures. And uh, for, uh, for the climate crisis, uh, the time delay is 100 times more and uh, therefore that's quite difficult. So politicians and the public see the necessity to do something. Yeah. Back to the initial uh, idea of the uh, uh, subject of time. Um, um, so as I understand it, it's really not a, a cost issue, a technical issue, which uh, stops uh, renewals being uh, used in, in, on a wider scale. You think it's more like a legislation, political mindset, really mindset aspect to, um, to increase the, the speed of the application of, exactly, of, exactly. of renewables. Because technically, yeah. you know, it's just if you increase production, uh, if you double the production of solar cells, the price goes down by 23%. This is a long experience learning curve. Mm. And if you just uh, make the market price are going down automatically. Uh, politicians tend to say, okay, we wait until the prices go down or we wait until... Uh, and then, uh, uh, and uh, then nothing happens. We saw it uh, for a long time, in some, for decades in solar uh, industry, just after this market was there, prices went down drastically. Yeah. All right. Well, um, we are yet to see what's going to happen post-COVID-19. Post and uh, let's keep the fingers crossed that uh, the society, let's say, because we are all um, part of these, this, this decision-making, that uh, we embrace the opportunity the demand for investment and hopefully then also the dem demand into into renewables hey stefan um thanks a lot for joining it's been uh, it's been great to uh, oh, a nice talk yeah to uh, talk to a real pioneer of solar right you started early founded a lot of companies contributed a lot in the research um i'm sure we're gonna see uh, each other again here on the show hopefully soon and uh All the best for the next days. Stay safe. Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.